I'm Beth Ricciani and welcome to Frontline Stories of Change. I'm a social worker, a founder of a social enterprise, Care to Dance, and now a podcast host. I'm excited to speak to some amazing people and organisations who share our mission to bring about social change and make a real difference to the lives of children and families. You will hear their stories and advice and I hope join in the conversation as we learn together along the way. Today is our first episode of our new series, and it's super exciting because we're talking to Josh McAllister, Frontline Chief Executive. Josh set up Frontline nearly seven years ago. As a teacher, he realised how important it was for children to have a safe and stable home life and the impact this could have on their education. He wanted to do something so that no child's life chances were determined by their social or family circumstances, and he believed he could have a much bigger influence outside of the classroom. That's why he set up Frontline. The charity's mission is to create social change for children who do not have a safe or stable home by developing excellent social work practice and leadership. By 2025, there will be a community of 4,000 fellows across the country, including myself, and we will continue to develop our practice, inputting into policy and building our own innovations with a goal to bring about change for children and families. Josh will soon be leaving his post at Frontline, so I took this opportunity to talk with Josh, reflect on his successes over the years and his plans for the future. So if you enjoy listening to Frontline Stories of Change podcast, please do leave us a rating and review. Thank you. Josh, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. Yeah, good. It's Friday, so always, always exciting. <laughs> exactly, and it's sunny here in Cumbria as well, which isn't always the case, but it is beautifully. Uh, the skies are beautifully clear. Oh, amazing! Do you have any snow there? Uh, we actually don't have very much. It's really cold, um, but we've not had that much snow falling. Oh, very nice. So, thank you so much for coming and having a chat with us today. I've been super excited about this one because, and please do rein me in if I talk for hours about like, <laughs> social change and things. I get a bit excited. So, um, it would be really good to start off to hear a bit more about your journey um, in from becoming a teacher to building up your own charity that aims to facilitate social change within the social work arena. If that's okay. Yeah, I came to this having been a secondary school teacher. I did teaching in Manchester um, and I sort of found my way into that because I finished university and wanted to do a job that was going to be really practical and hands-on. My degree was in politics, which always felt a little bit abstract. And, um, and I always had a sense of wanting to have my work um, have consequence and um, trying to find something after finishing university that combined those things together was um, was very much on my um, on my uh, wish list for a for a graduate job, and at the time, this was in the sort of late noughties, Teach First was the only game in town. Uh, was really excited about it. It was the only thing I applied to do, and um, absolutely loved it. And I taught for about four years, three and a half, four years, and ended up working with quite a lot of kids who had social work involvement at home. Because of that, had some interaction, limited interaction with their social workers and basically got this um, picture of uh, and, and lots. I think lots of people who are uh, professionals that work with children will recognise this. Seeing children in the classroom trying to get the most out of their education 
and as their teacher trying to get the most out of them as well knowing that there was lots of other stuff going on for them at home beyond the school gate and feeling quite limited in what I could do about that and I guess thinking about that and also considering the fact that this is a group of children who are often the children who do less uh, least well in education they're often the most vulnerable group of kids uh, in the country and loads of people hadn't at that point considered social work as a career and that seemed like a really odd combination of factors you know got this huge social problem this group of children who should be the nation's focus and lots of people finishing university not giving a second thought to uh, social work as a career and so that I mean, I call it an insight, it wasn't a huge insight, but that um, realisation led me to write um, a really short 500 word article, which said we need to find a new way to get more great people into social work. And that was written 11 years ago, I think. And that was the starting point for the idea that was from mine. Amazing. This is an interesting point about my lack of understanding about social work when I was setting up Frontline, which is that I came to it with... Um, a lot of questions about what's the purpose of social work, um, which children and families the children's services working with, and what is it that social workers do? So we know that they go and assess, and we know that social workers go out and try and bring some safety to family situations. But what's the skill? What is it that social workers actually do? And I was surprised, and this is now eight years ago, at some of the conversations I'd be in with people who... Um, frankly didn't have very many answers to those questions um, and certainly where there were some answers they lacked precision about what you know what is the skill that social workers are using with families to um, work alongside them build a relationship and help bring about change um, so that was going into it my eyes were quite open to what the work of those coming through the frontline program might be but certainly the hope was that they would have um, the opportunity to do deeper more lasting work than um, what sometimes families describe as you know a process of assessing and referring and assessing and referring um, but of course you did the program so you you will you will probably <laughs> have have a good sense of that as well how much that's actually been possible um, within the, the sort of realities of the current system. Mm-hmm. Absolutely I think it's um, from doing the program it's like it offers you the tools and sort of, I guess, a toolbox of being able to support children and families with, you know, motivational interviewing, systemic practice, parenting interventions. And I think those tradition, when you go down a traditional route of social work within the social work profession, from what I've heard um, from colleagues, they, those sort of tools aren't, um, aren't given as widely so when you come into when I from the frontline program came into social work I felt like I had a toolbox and then I guess it's down to ourselves as social workers and individuals to make sure that we use those toolbox in reality and we spend the time with children and families and we try and really apply theory into practice. Yeah exactly I mean parenting interventions is a good one because the reason why we made the decision to include parenting interventions and motivational interviewing in the curriculum was that we thought you know, this shouldn't be the sort of thing that we're just asking another person to do with the family. You know, the family have already met you by that point. Social worker has already crossed the threshold of going into your private family life. They've asked you a whole load of questions, probably um, uh, taken a lot of that information away and fed it into a system. 
the person who's sat in front of the family, the social worker, came to do the job because they wanted to actually make a difference, not just go and record stuff. So why would we why would we create a system where people go in and assess and then make some decisions, but then when the work needs to be done, actually give it to somebody else to be to be done? And there is there's so much more work that we need to do on that. And and you know, that's not just frontline's aim. I think social workers across England would recognise um, that description and and definitely want to be part of making that happen as well. Mm, absolutely. And I think it's by when when we sort of build those relationships up with children and families and often you're breaking down barriers that may be already existing with them. And when you've gotten over those barriers, you know, you've built that relationship to then introduce someone else can be really difficult for them, understandably. Um, so if we're social workers are able to really use those skills into supporting them um it's definitely the best better way to do it i mean there's obviously great services out there for other you know means that we can't support them with but yeah if we can offer as much as we can as so their social workers then that's definitely ideal and i'm wondering um because given you didn't have any sort of specific expertise in the area of social work when you were a teacher which you've touched on already how did you go about educating yourself and building a team of the best people around you yeah, that's a really good question. And it's, you know, it's one of these questions where you've definitely got a hindsight mentality that it was very easy and it all kind of slotted together. But I'm remembering, I'm remembering trying to figure out, you know, who who was really up for trying to make this work and seeing that frontline, the creation of frontline was an opportunity to do things really differently. So not you know, because lots of people around at the time who had a particular training program that they wanted to sell or a piece of work that they'd done a few years ago. And this was their chance to kind of elbow in on the action in, in a way. Um, and so it took a bit of time for me to discern who are the people who are out there where we've got a real alignment around values is too broad a word, but um, perspective on the system and, and a shared aligned view on what some of the problems were um so what what we did is i ended up reading a whole load of stuff about uh, reform efforts things that have been tried in social work and i came across reclaiming social work and the work that had been done in hackney in the in the noughties um, and i reached out to steve goodman um who was uh, one of the architects of reclaiming social work and we had a phone call. I mean, I emailed him and I think later on that day we had a phone call and then we agreed to meet. And that started a conversation, um, a meeting of very similar minds in a way with Isabel Trowler, who at the time was uh, also part of the, the Hackney model. And we um, started having conversations about who had they worked with, um, which thinkers had really influenced their approach. And they didn't all agree, but there was this shared commitment to really trying to ask the questions, the tough questions about what is it that children and family social workers need to know and be able to do to be effective. And we had this amazing um, meeting in January 2013. I wish we'd recorded it, but we had Eileen Munro, um, David Shemmings, Donald Forrester, Isabel Trowler, um, Barbara Mackay from uh, the Institute of Family Therapy um, and Steve and the question was if forgetting everything we know at the moment about how we train social workers what is it we should teach them to be able to do um, and that was the, where some of the fundamentals came for from for the frontline curriculum um, so it was an iterative process it was basically finding people out there who have been successful at making change happen in the social work profession 
Um, and then putting myself and the frontline team in front of as many different kind of perspectives on that as possible and then figuring out what the right approach would be. Mm. So frontline, I guess the second part of like frontline is that about leading social change and um, empowering fellows to be a part of that collective change. And I was, it was an interesting question because I think what, going through the programme myself, being a fellow, starting up a social enterprise care stance, I definitely felt the imposter syndrome. <laughs> like I remember the first time I wrote director on my um, signature, I was like, I'm not a director. <laughs> so <laughs> it felt super weird. Um, and I'm wondering uh, what advice or um, guidance you could provide for fellows or um, practitioners in general who would like to set up their own enterprise or they'd like to drive social change because they've recognised a need, but maybe they feel that imposter syndrome um, or maybe they feel like they lack that expertise in certain areas. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, one thing I would say, and it was advice that was given to me um, by someone who um, taught me to teach, um, a person called Laura McInerney, who, um, who's an education journalist now. Um, and she says this to lots of people, which is, if not you, then who? And there are lots of good ideas out there. In fact, I think there were lots of other people that had the idea for Frontline before I had it. But there is a big difference between having an idea and making it happen. And so you sometimes do need to ask a very uncomfortable question that if you're not going to do it, who is actually going to do it? And if the answer to that question is no one or you don't know and you you know you think the idea is worth pursuing but you can't see a route to someone else taking picking up the baton and taking it over the finishing line then you've kind of answered most of those questions um now i think that what that leaves you with is well do you know enough to be able to do it and are you the right person and um how do you know and surely there's someone more qualified and i think being aware or being aware enough to know that coming to it especially if you've got um some knowledge gaps i mean I, I when i was setting up frontline i was 25 um i still had a young person's rail card um and i was incredibly naive there was stuff i just didn't understand and had to learn but there was a strength in that as well you know there was a freshness of perspective to be able to ask questions I'll give you an example which is that every social work course that existed before frontline in england had you do a 100 day placement and a 70 day placement and i remember asking you know people would tell me well you know the front how's frontline going to have a 100 day placement and a 70 day placement and i asked why is there a 100 day placement and why is there a 70 day placement like genuinely what can you tell me what the basis of that is it turns out there was no there's no evidence that says that's the right way to do it that's just the way it's been done uh, and these norms grow over time um, but occasionally having fresh fresh perspective come along and question conventional wisdom is really healthy part of change happening it's not always the easiest position to be in um, but there is a strength in um, a freshness of perspective and you should lean into that if if you know what you're trying to set up is something is something new um, and then the other part of the self-awareness is knowing where your gaps are and, and making sure you've got people around you who can help you bridge those gaps and who can um, keep you on the straight and narrow. And if you're setting up a charity, boards of trustees are a great way of doing that, you know, bringing in people who will give you a bit of challenge and, and constructive challenge uh, around your thinking. Um, 
uh, and and you know on on your team as well. If you can bring people into your team who've got that very different skill set, that's uh, absolutely crucial. Mm-hmm. And I think I mean that's a lo- load of great advice because I think it really does resonates with me when you sort of you think of an idea, and I think if you don't go for it as well, like if you don't try, like you're not, it's you know you're not hurting anything by not trying and and if it doesn't work out then you try something else and you keep going and and I think it's so important to really go against the status quo that there's so many great ideas out there and we had that recent frontline exchange workshop yesterday and we really talked about using different groups like creativity innovation like really driving that to try and support children and families in a different sort of not as conventional way like rather than relying on uh, sort of statutory services although it's so important we have them but working in collaboration and thinking about what else we can do differently yeah um, definitely so it's almost like a flexibility of thinking yeah and, and this isn't i have to say this isn't just something that's useful when you're starting stuff up i've you know in the last few months um or the last year or so i've been involved in helping to set up um uh, something called whatever it takes um, which is working in the youth um, justice space to break the cycle of children and young people um, getting caught in, in violent crime. And, you know, the idea started in one place and myself and the other people who were involved in co-founding it, Sophie Humphreys, uh, Bex Kramer, Michael Clark, we were pretty sure that we were starting in the right place. And over the course of a few months, we had to make a few quite big changes in what it was the whole thing was about trying to do based on what we were hearing and and some of the sort of planning that we'd done. Um, and even at Frontline, uh, you know, we, we'll have an idea about a new leadership programme and we'll start in one destination. And I think as long as you go through it with an openness to being uh, influenced or, or, you know, a flexibility to be able to change your approach, it's something you end up needing to do all the time. And it's just an extension of that to apply it to, the idea of setting something up and I'm sure you know with care to dance I'm sure there's probably what you're doing now reflects where you wanted to be at the start but I'm sure there's along the way you've made you know 101 tweaks and changes definitely 100% and it's definitely about adapting and I mean we talked about leading by experience I definitely you know care to dance is being shaped by the young people as well and I think something that you mentioned um uh, earlier is about like importance of speaking to other people who maybe know have expertise in different areas as well and what I found is everyone is happy to help like no matter who you speak to if it's for good if it's you know for that social impact social change there's everyone's so keen to help and like really try and drive that collective change yeah I think that's really that's really true like people are I mean uh, uh, the harsh realities of social media can sometimes lead you to believe differently but people are incredibly generous um, on the whole, incredibly generous. And I think if you ask people for help, they'll very often respond in kind. How do you know when it's the right time to leave and and move on to a new opportunity? Yeah, well, what, what a good time to ask me that question. Um, <laughs> I think, um, yeah. Well, I think, you know, if you if you can be in a, in a, a point where you're, there's, in, there's work that you're doing as a team, that isn't dependent upon you, that's a really good sign, right? So at the moment at Frontline, lots of the important work that we're doing is being brilliantly led and and delivered by a fantastic team. And, 
you do reach a point, and I'm sure you know. I'm sure I would have been able to stay at frontline for another few years and still add lots of value. But you do start to, you know, your contribution starts to have a bit of a half life after a certain time, and you end up being the person in a room where a conversation's happening, and you're like the one that says, "Oh, we tried this, and you know, we've been around this circuit before." And there's been a few of those occasions at Frontline, not many, but a few of those occasions where I felt like the grumpy old man um, <laughs> in the corner. Um, so they're, they're, they can be telling signs, but I think really they should feel like a, almost like a, a looseness, like a relaxedness that you feel about the work that you, you are doing and the work that you've done. And that's certainly how I felt about Frontline for, for a few months now that, it's um it's a great opportunity now for frontline to have a new uh chief executive and some fresh leadership and i think that will strengthen the organization and put it in a stronger position in the future which is amazing and and building frontline was always about building something that would last for the long term so that we can build this movement of leaders who can make transformational change happen inside and outside of social work and, and that's bigger than any person. And so, you know, there's a almost sign of success is making sure you reach a point where you're not needed anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I'm, I feel, and time will tell, but I feel like that's where we're at. Um, so it's, it's felt like a natural point to, um, to move on. And that's coincided you know, really, uh, really well with the start of the independent review into children's social care. Mm-hmm. I mean, Frontline has come such a long way, has it? And I think when you talked about sort of the amazing work that different, um, I guess, everyone's doing and leading on, and it, I've personally just, I've worked with the Frontline Fellowship on lots of different things, and um, obviously I've done the programme, and I think everyone has just been super supportive in, like, for myself and and for our young people and Care to Dance, and I think, yeah, it's um, it's an amazing community to be part of, I think, and, and to be part of that platform of social change. Yeah, well, that's that's great to hear. And, you know, that is entirely down to the team and that you feel that way. And that's been the experience, you know, great tutors who work on the programme and make sure you get through the, the two years of the frontline programme really smoothly and successfully and learn lots in the process. And the fellowship team who, you know, are there to just make sure that y- you can amplify the impact that you're going to have um in the world um so in a way that's a great reflection on on the team and um i've had nothing to do with it um (laughs) which is which is the way it should be they've done a great job great and why is it important do you think for you to continue to develop and and take on new challenges so when time times come that you feel like you're ready to move on to the next challenge why is that important to you well, I mean, the, the, the starting point has to be what is right for the mission that you're serving. Um, and I think asking that question about frontline, one of the one of the things you need to consider is what's what's best for frontline. Is it best for frontline to have eight years on with um, the organisation being in a really stable position with a great leadership team and a clear direction and a strong culture? It is that a healthy point in time for Frontline to find itself with fresh leadership? And I think the answer to that question is probably yes. Um, and if you apply that question to any work that you're doing, um, whether as a social worker um, or a freelancer working with a client or wherever you're working, and that's a good good way to think about it. What's in the 
interests of the mission that you're serving. Um, and then personally, I think, you know, I, I'm, I, I've learned a huge amount during the last eight years of, of leading Frontline. It's not felt like one job. It's felt like five different jobs and it's changed a lot um, every few every few years or so. And I think that some of those learnings have been unexpected. They've come along when I've not been seeking them out. You know, I've made a mistake. I've gotten something wrong and I've found that a, a painful but important learning process or um, I've had a conversation with somebody that's made me totally rethink how we should do a certain thing uh, or I've read something um, people who work at Frontline will know that I'm a very annoying um, uh, <laughs> reader of management books um, and will come into the office that, you know, when, when the office is open and say, oh, I've read this, we should try and give this a go. Um, so I enjoy it. I enjoy learning. And I think that um, I think that it can be easy sometimes to fall into a position of feeling like, you know, you've 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 learned enough for the role you're in. And actually seeking out opportunities to get a bit of challenge or a fresh perspective can really help you uh, continually improve. Um, and it's a huge part of job satisfaction, right? You know, being able to see that the work that you've done has resulted in things being done better is a very powerful feedback loop for people staying in their role and getting better at it. Actually, I think that's, you know, very, very true for social workers. If you are in a local authority in a team where you've got great support and you can see that the impact of your work with families has that powerful feedback loop, you can see the change happening. You know, why would you, why would you want to go and work anywhere else? <laughs> why would you want to go and do anything else? Um, it's such a powerful motivator for keeping people in their jobs. And um, I'm glad you asked this question because I think sometimes when we talk about professional development and retention and these questions, we sort of lose sight of the most simple thing, which is, is the job enjoyable? And do people feel like they can do it in a way that makes a difference? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And feeling like you're making, ha having an impact in your role is super important. And I think um, for a lot of people, and I think, it, I mean, my next question was going to be, do you think that you can make a bigger impact um, by taking on new challenges? And I guess when you're talking about um, your own sort of your own mission and your mission for social change and then how you can best support that then it sounds like taking on new challenges can only strengthen the impacts that you're, you could potentially have yeah I, well not necessarily I mean I think you need to think about you know what what is your what is the the purpose or the mission that you want to serve what is it the, what's the work you want to do and that might be not deciding not to go for something or not to move roles but to stick at something um, you know, there's been points in time at Frontline where we've had to work through a knotty issue that's quite complex and I've sort of got my sleeves very much rolled up in it and it would have been an unhelpful time to, to leave and go and do something, even if it had been a very exciting opportunity. So I think it's not always straightforward. I think asking yourself the question and having people around you who you can discuss it with who are going to be balanced and clear-sighted on it. I mean, I think, you know, if if people listening to this or anything like I can be at times, you know, you've had a bad day at work or something's been hard and you speak to your other half or a friend or a family member and you say, God, I've had enough of this, you know, I'm going to go do something else. Like those are not the moments to make decisions about your career or what you do next um, to sort of take it in, in a more rounded way and and think, are you, you know, are you better staying where you are? Um 
you know, either because of the work right in front of you that needs doing or because developing greater expertise and depth of, of knowledge was important. Um, the reason I say that is that having started frontline eight years ago, I'm not sure if I'd asked myself eight years ago, are you going to be doing this for eight years? I, I would have thought that is ages. I'd have thought that was, you know, way too long to be doing one job. And, you know, at the other end of it, I definitely don't feel that way. I feel like I've had eight years of um, of growth and, and challenge. So, you know, I wouldn't rush at everything. I would I would ask what's going to best serve the purpose that you've got right now. And that might be having a family, you know, that might be other stuff going on in your life. And that's absolutely part of the part of the equation. Mm, thank you. And so you've created a culture and platform for collective change um, from setting up Frontline. And I'm wondering what change you are most proud of when you think back throughout the years. Oh, it's really hard to name one thing. It's really, really hard. There's a few moments that stick with me. Moments where I go into a children's services team and I will see a number of Frontline fellows people that have done the first line program csws you know people who've been through our programs and are part of that fellowship community who are working alongside great existing social workers who, who come into the profession through different routes and you've got this sense of um buzz and professionalism and focus that is almost quite um intoxicating you feel like you want to go along with it and there's been a few occasions like that where i've been into uh, corners of local authority social work offices where even if the local authority is in really difficult circumstances you've got this hardcore group of people who are actually not going to let anything get in the way not going to let anything be an excuse they're absolutely focused on doing what's right for children and families um, and they're slogging their guts out to do it and those going into those bits of the office getting that vibe and getting excited with it because of the excitement of others has been um, tremendously rewarding because that was you know very much what frontline was about it's about people and getting great talent into the social work profession to support existing social workers who are doing a great job so that's um there's been lots of moments like that there's been um you know people like yourself who've set up your own initiatives who've seen had an insight into the system and seen bits of uh, work that can be done better or gaps uh, groups of children groups of parents who've been overlooked and actually taken responsibility for setting something up and filling that gap um that's amazing um and very much you know in the spirit of, of why we created frontline and then there's you know just these extraordinary extraordinary stories that people have got for work they've done with families i was in Tameside um, a couple of years ago and was lucky enough to go out on a visit with a family with a couple of frontline participants and their CSW was a frontline fellow and the work they'd done with this family to help keep them together safely and successfully and the grandparents came around to the house and the house was full and it was happy and the parents had worked incredibly hard and it was not easy for them or the social work team um, but the outcome for that was that that kid gets to grow up with his parents and they get to have a family life that's relatively normal and filled with joy and you know the usual family arguments and the um and the birthdays and the christmases and um, and the foundations for 
esteem in the future you know a family a permanent family uh, familial connection and bond and that's the direct consequence of social work being done in a different way um by very skilled people you know so that's inspirational and then um there's weird you know weird stories like um <laughs> uh, one of the fellows from the very first cohort of frontline who ended up um uh going overseas to work in nigeria um this is katie and she worked in nigeria and she uh, ended up um working with david shemmings professor david shemmings um because she was training up 20 nigerians to work with a thousand former child soldiers in the northeastern part of the country, so uh, Maiduguri in that, that area, which uh, has had a lot of Boko Haram terrorist activity. And uh, these are children who uh, have been part of war and, and uh, horrific violence, and they're being reintegrated back into society. Katie was responsible for leading that entire project, so reintegrating a thousand um, former child soldiers back into um, their communities. And she sent me a video, uh, a picture of her training the 20 staff using some of the models that she'd learned from the frontline program. And David Shemmings was helping out with it. And um, and I went out to Nigeria a couple of years ago. Um, I had a friend who was working there and um, saw Katie when I was there. And, you know, the work that she's doing is very much informed by her experience on the frontline program. And I think I go out to speak to people at university campuses about why they should go and do social work, why they should do the frontline program. It's because it opens these amazing doors. You know, why would you not want to spend your life dedicating your skill and talent and time to these hugely important social issues and having, you know, great joy and challenge in the process of doing it? So I, I think, you know, it's just been hugely rewarding to see where people have gone and what they've gone on to do. They're incredible stories. I mean, my days, like that story from Katie is just incredible. Like, Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's an amazing woman. Yeah. And I think you're right. When you talk about sort of the, you know, the skills we learned during the frontline program, motivation interviewing, systemic practice, like parenting interventions, I think you, we really can use them. And especially when it comes to like communication with other people in, in, every single sort of aspect with whether you're a social worker officially or whether you're working supporting young people or whatever you're doing and I feel like there's such it's such a useful tool to have to be able to support someone yeah and something that frontline often talks about is um a lead by experience approach as well isn't it and you know support really supporting collective change from the bottom up and I guess part of what you described is also um collecting the views of many different people um you know young people potentially have been through the system themselves as well and and you know asking them about their experiences and what they feel like needs to be changed um and i'm wondering sort of what we can do um as practitioners and social workers to support children and families to lead change within the system uh, using their first-hand experience yeah i mean that's a that's another great question and i um I'm, I'm asking this question myself at the moment with the new role that I'm going on to take as the chair of the independent review into children's social care, because I think lots of the answers lie in asking people who have been on the receiving end of children's social care. And there's some great examples out there of um, 
peer-to-peer work, parents who've been through the children's social care system, supporting parents who are now in the children's social care system, um, and some really uh, inspiring examples from New York of of, of that working um, there. In fact, I've been in touch with an, uh, an organisation here in England that's doing similar work with parental advocates. Um, and finding ways to hear from the full range of children who've been in the system in some way. So not just children who are in care, but also children who are on child protection plans and still at home, um, and parents. And I, I think one of the barriers to overcome is that because the system is quite stigmatising for families at times, for families to have enough confidence to truly share what the experience has been like is really tough. Um, but the, re- the reason I think that matters, the pursuit of asking those questions matters, is. Um, is something that Nick Crichton, who who's a family judge, really inspiring man, um, who sadly died a few years ago, um, said to me uh, when I was speaking to him about family drug and alcohol court, the problem solving court that he, he helped to set up. And Nick um, was very good at reminding people that the purpose of the children's social care system, one of its core objectives, as well as helping to keep children safe, was also making sure that the process families went through um, ensured as far as possible that families had dignity and um, I think it can be really easy to forget that at times Um, there was a a great great piece of research that Harry Ferguson published a couple of weeks ago following um, the relationship between social workers and families and he documents just how hostile that is a lot of the time in a kind of, to be honest, in quite a shocking way. And we have to find a way of breaking that cycle of hostility because it just means that, um, you know, for families, it becomes an incredibly unhelpful intervention in their life um, and can in some ways make the situation worse if we're not careful. So I'm not answering your question because... Um, I'm not telling you all the ways that we can do it, but it is essential that we do do it mm-hmm. and find ways of doing it that gets as close as possible to people's truth. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much that you've just said then that really does resonate with myself. And it was interesting because we're having a podcast as well in a, um, a week or so after yours, I think, and it's with Listen Up um, Research. And um, we'd had a really interesting conversation about oppre- like oppression and how the system can be oppressive and thinking about trying to unpick that and how do we get um, the views and advocate for young people and families um, more so than we're doing now and creating more collective change of the system. Um, And I think it's so right because there is definitely, um, I think there's definitely a long way to go in the system and how we try and reframe and look at you know I guess the power dynamics that can be felt with by families and it's a like you're right it's a big ask to then ask children and families who's then if they feel if they do feel powerless how can we empower them to be able to share their story and really to, to drive that change and I think there's a a long process um and a lot of things that we can all do collectively but it's definitely a collective effort isn't it yeah I think also it's really I mean it's really hard you'll know this because you've done the job but seeing when social workers successfully have the high challenge high support relationship with a parent where it might end up resulting in a child being removed and even in those circumstances parents are able to say 
um, I was treated with dignity throughout the process and things were explained to me. Now, I understand why I'm no longer able to um, look after my kid. You know, to be able to do that requires such an incredible mix of skill. Mm-hmm. Um, it just can't be understated. And I think the point about power that um, I think social workers often struggle with is that you are needing to navigate with families the fact that you are both an agent of the state mm-hmm. which is a label that many social workers detest and, and really don't like to associate themselves with I have lots of conversations with social workers who say I'm not an agent of the state <laughs> um but you are you're paid by, you're paid by the state your role is there set out in legislation part of your role is to um is to play a role protecting children where that's needed but also to balance that with uh, advocating for the family and supporting them. And it's a both and position. And when you've got a both and position like that, that requires very careful navigation of power, you need to be super transparent. And so to pretend somehow that you're not an agent of the state is disingenuous with families. They know that you are, you know, they know that you've got this immense power and how social workers hold the power, that's the crucial thing. It's not pretending that you don't have it. And I think that I think that makes the heart, the role really hard because people come to the work with really good intent and they want to be there alongside and allies of parents. And that, you know, that's a really great starting point. But it's more complex than that. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting discussion of power. And, and again, it's sort of linked, I could feel like almost a bit of a sense of um uncomfortableness really talking about power as a social worker and I think that definitely is present and I think and it's similar to talking about the system as being oppressive at times and I think that's also uncomfortable in saying and and I think yeah um it's about reflecting in practice and really trying to think it's such a difficult balance I think in practice when you are talking about that the different roles that you have in supporting family and I think personally what I found during the frontline program though is that systemic practice and motivational interviewing in particular they do really um combined yeah. together they can be really effective in trying to balance those roles um yeah but it's definitely needing like ongoing reflection I think of an individual as well as a system definitely I'm wondering because you've got again you've got a really exciting uh, role coming up and I'm wondering where do you hope to see children's social care in the future that's a huge question and I'm, I'm sure there's lots of different aspects within it um but it'd be really interesting to see sort of what your hopes are for um children's social care system um in general I mean I think one of the, one of the places to start and, and I I'm very guilty of doing this is talking about it as a system um because it somehow kind of others the, the issue or the problems that we're trying to address as um uh somewhere else and as this amorphous um uh untouchable thing that that we're kind of not responsible for when i say we i mean everybody i don't just mean social workers or people that work in government i mean genuinely everybody you know we we are part of a society where children who are not able to stay with their um, birth parents are not just the responsibility of the state they are our responsibility all of ours and i think that um it would be really easy to do this review by looking at the system by starting with 
which different teams of social workers have we got doing different bits of work and how is the work diced and sliced as it is at the moment. And I actually think the review should uh, and will start with the process of asking what are we trying to do? You know, what, what what's the objective, what's the mission of children's social care? And I think that means the question needs to be how do we best give every child growing up in this country a safe, stable, loving family life? And for the vast majority of children, they've got that. And um, lots of us who've had that almost don't need to pay attention to how significant that is for our dignity and opportunities in life. You know, the knowledge that you've got that invisible loving unconditional safety net there when things go wrong that you've got a team who are on your side when you've got something to celebrate family is a fundamental part of being able to function in society um, and for those children who are not able to have that all that's disrupted or it's weakened in some way um, because of a whole range of factors we need to help families we need to help the family, first of all, figure out how they um, strengthen their relationships and come through that. And that means we need to um, have a, a system that really helps families. Mm-hmm. And then um, for children who do end up coming into care um, and do end up leaving their birth families, we need to make sure, you know, we again start from first principles and ask ourselves, what's the mission? Well, it should be that those children have got permanent strong loving connections for life not just for the period of time in which they're in a foster placement or in a residential children's home and so I think for me that the the objective is to do the review in a way which asks the fundamental questions first and helps us come at the come at this from the perspective of children and families who were there to help first rather than the system that we've currently got first mm-hmm. um, and that will be you know that's easier said than done um <laughs> but that's the that's the hope amazing and yeah you're, you're so right when we talk about the system I've never sort of thought of it like that and it's a nice sort of reflective piece I think to think about because I'm guilty of that I often say the system and actually it's thinking about how can we be um sort of using changing the word so we're much more responsible and we're taking ownership and young people who are in care um or leaving care you know they if it's not good enough for our own child it's not good enough for them and thinking about how can we make sure that that is actually being applied into practice um and I think yeah coming from a perspective at the moment I'm working in a looked after and leaving care team and um the impact of being in care some children, young people can have such positive experiences, but some ch- a lot of young children can experience placement breakdowns and all sorts of difficulties. And it's thinking about how we can get to approach where they really do feel that sense of belonging, that sense of identity, because it's so significant to a young person. And I think it really does. Yeah. Yeah. It can be often understood. So I can talk for hours about that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, I think lots of people who don't know social work and haven't had involvement with children's social care would be it's kind of a stunning truth to sit with that in in the UK in 2021 children leave the care system without any strong some of them without any strong bond formed and nurtured with a loving network of adults around them I mean that that is staggering that that is the situation we're in 
And, you know, then we ask, well, how is it that these young people have ended up less likely to have a job, more likely to be homeless, likely to die younger? And those are the sad truths. And, and it, in a way, it's so fundamental, the state struggles to find the answer because the answer is love and family and home. And the state is not always the best organisation to deliver those things. You know, those things come through relationships and connection. 100%. Um, and we need to find a way of, you know, having that be the covenant between all of us, the mutual obligation we have to each other in this country that every kid grows up with that safe, stable, loving family life. Um, and if we can do that, and that has to be achievable, we have to be able to do that. Um, then um, we will end up tackling, you know, what looked like down the line much more complex and intractable issues of, you know, youth offending or complex high needs mental health issues, you know, suicide rates, homelessness. Actually, some of this starts with connect, connection and relationships and, and love. So where would you like to see Frontline developing in the upcoming years? The top goal for Frontline has to be reaching a point where we've got 4,000 impactful fellows by 2025. That's the organisation's current plan. It's stretching and ambitious, but I'm very, very confident Frontline will be able to make that happen. Um, and the crucial thing there is it's keeping right at the top of the organisation and amongst the fellows the fact that everything the organisation is there to do is to make sure that we've got 4,000, so a lot <laughs> of fellows, who are making an impact um, in, and that might be by improving their social work practice in the, with the families that they're working with. It might be as a social work manager, improving the supervision, support and leadership that they're giving to their teams. Or it might be like you're doing with Care to Dance and um, setting up new initiatives to fill gaps and, and, and improve things elsewhere. So that's the, the top goal. And, you know, I think the other thing that the team are um, making great progress on is improving some of the approaches to our curriculum so that we actually dig even deeper on understanding what is it that social workers need to be able to know and be able to do in real depth to make a difference for children and families. Um, and I think we've talked a lot here about the curriculum and the, the, the frontline programme that you went through and your experience of it. And I, I'm really proud of all the work that people have done to build that programme. And we can make it even better in the future um, and not get complacent or, or rest on our laurels. So I think there's lots of exciting work to be done. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Josh. This has been really great, like talking to you. And I, and I can like, I know sometimes I can ramble, so I appreciate you like. <laughs> no, 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 it's been, it's been great. It's been great conversation to have. And, um, and in, a, in a way, really nice opportunity to bookmark my... Um, my time at Frontline because I will be leaving Frontline as chief executive in a, in a few days. So uh, for posterity, um, maybe, and a few other reasons, this has been a really nice conversation to have. So thank you. Thank you.